0: Then spake Jesus again on them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have a light of life. That's the twelfth verse of the eighth chapter of the Gospel of John. Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning with the fourteenth verse. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set upon a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all are in the house. Let your light so shine before man that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now I'm taking a double text this morning. Before I reread these two little passages, I'd like to say that I'm preaching you the oldest sermon I have. I've been preaching on this subject since I was a boy at the age of fifteen in southeast Alabama. It's not exactly the same sermon I preached in those days, but I'm preaching the same subject. In days gone by here in Bob Jones University, I preached this message several times. And this may be the last time I'll ever preach it because they're making a motion picture about this sermon. And I don't know what effect it'll have on me after I see the picture. Whether I'll ever preach anymore or whether you want to hear it after you see the picture because the picture will be so much better than I can possibly give the sermon. So I'm going to give you this sermon this morning. I know you students who are here this year, I'm sure you haven't heard it. And the students who have been here maybe the last year or two, as far as I know, have not heard the sermon. First, part of the twelfth verse of the eighth chapter of John, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Part of the fourteenth verse of the fifth chapter of Matthew, he says, ye are the light of the world. There's no contradiction here. I look about midday and I say, the sun is the light of the world. Tonight when the sun goes down behind the western horizon, moon comes out in her glory, I say, the moon is the light of the world. There isn't any contradiction. The sun is the light of the world, but the moon becomes the light of the world because the sun shines upon the moon. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, but the Christian becomes light of the world when Jesus Christ shines into a Christian's heart. I should like to stop in passing long enough to say, I've seen the moon the eclipse. I've watched her shine of beauty and glory until a shadow would come over her face, and they told me part of the world had come between the sun and the moon. I've seen eclipses in Christian lives. I've known men to shine in wonderful beauty and glory until the world has come between them and the sun of righteousness. And it may be I'm speaking to somebody whose soul is experiencing the eclipse. Over your sky, the world may have cast its shadow. If so, I pray that that eclipse may pass as I'm talking to you. And that you may be what Jesus meant for you to be and said you are the light of the world. And you may obey His divine injunction to let that light shine before man. That's a command. Those are orders from headquarters. Let your light shine. The light you have for me, let it shine before man. That's his command. Say, did you ever stop to think that everything that God made obeys the divine voice except man? When this universe was wrapped in chaos and in darkness, God said, let there be light. In obedience to his matchless voice, the sun unveiled his face, and the world was lighted. When Jesus Christ was on earth, he looked for fruit on a fig tree, and found none, and batted to wither and die. In obedience to his master's voice, we leaves withered and fell in the tree. When out on tempest-tossed Galilee, they awoke him and said, Master, we're in the midst of a storm. In the dignity of his glory and power, he said, Wind cease blowing, water be still. And they said, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Yes, the wind does obey him, the sea does obey him. But I'm talking to Christian people today who do not obey him. He said, Let your light shine. And all the misery and wretchedness and sorrow you've ever had comes from the fact that you disobey God. I've said to you so many times, everything that ever, God ever made uh, is happy in the place where God meant it to be. I heard an old time preacher, ultra-Calvinistic preacher when I was a boy. I never shall forget him. Most fatalistic message I think I ever heard. And I have no objection to reasonable Calvinism. My mother's people in the north of Ireland. So I have a background like that. But you know, this man went too far. He stood up and said, God made some people to go to hell, and they'll have to go to hell. There's nothing you can do about it, you'll just have to go. As a country boy, I said to myself, if God made me to go to hell, I want to go to hell. I want to be what God made me to be. I can think of no aspiration, no ambition that could reach higher than that, to be what God wants me to be and what God made me to be. God never made man for hell. We read in the Bible of men being turned into hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not made for man. If you go to hell, you'll be an intruder. God made you for a city of light. And God made you for fellowship with himself. God, I speak reverently, was lonely. He created a man for whom he could call and guard and fellowship with him. And if you go to hell, you'll go where you don't belong, and you'll be an intruder forever. And if God made you for hell, there'd be no hell. God made the fish for the sea, and the fish plays in the water. God made the bird for the air, and the bird sings in the air. Put the bird in the water, the bird dies. Put the fish in the air, the fish dies. The reason is God never made birds for the water, and God never made fish for the air, and God never made man for hell. Man's normal state is fellowship with Jesus Christ, and man's home, really, the home that God wants him to live in is heaven. Now, you Christian people ought to believe that. You ought to live that. You ought to let your light shine before man. A story is told of a blind man one night who staggered down an alley carrying a lamp in his hand, feeling his way along, holding the light, and somebody knew he was blind. He said, Why do you carry that light? It doesn't do you any good. He said, Yes, it does. It keeps other men from stumbling over me. We Christian men and women who call ourselves Christians don't let our light shine before man. They're going to stumble over us to everlasting night and everlasting ruin. I can think of no worse sin the students of Bob Jones University could commit during the holidays than to go out from this place and go through a ex- spiritual eclipse. Your business is to let your light shine for the world never needed light like it needs it now. The darkness has never been so dark and so universal as it is now. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is heaven. You know, many women, it's a wonderful thing when Jesus says, I am the light of the world and you can be what I am. You can have what I have to give. I am the light of the world. Notice just a minute. That's the most marvelous statement. We read these wonderful statements the lips of Jesus and just pass them over. They get so commonplace to us. Think of it. Do you ever stop to think of the occasion on which Jesus made that statement? Now notice, there's a woman taken in sin. Religious leaders out there were standing out and said, The law says stone. And they were getting ready to throw the stones. And, and uh, Jesus said, uh, He walked up and said, uh, The man that's without sin here cast the first stone. And, and when he said that, you know what happened? He got down and began to write something. He looked up and they were all gone except the woman. She was standing. She could have run away, but she didn't. You know, I know why she didn't run away. She fell in love with the grace and saving power of Jesus. The rest of them had gone away. And and when he looked around, he said, where are your accusers? She said, they're all gone. And she called him Lord. And he said, "Uh, go on and don't do anything bad anymore. Live right from now on. Do you know why they went away? Jesus was there. Their lives were dark. They had sinned their lives. And men and women hate the light and they couldn't stand it. And the fact the woman didn't run, she was able to get up and they were gone. And she could run off, but she didn't. She was saved, I'm sure of that, and those hypocrites and humbugs and liars and crooks and adulterers went away from him. Listen, he's the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the light of the intellectual world. Jesus never wrote a book. As far as we know, he never wrote but one time, and nobody knows what he wrote then. He's the light of the intellectual world. He said that when he was writing on the ground, After he got up. I am the light of the world. Listen, they talk about Christian emphasis in education institutions. And some people speak lightly of a Christian institution like this that puts the first emphasis upon the gospel of the Bible and Jesus Christ. I want to tell you there's no real honest to goodness intellectual light in all the world except the light that Jesus Christ gives to the minds of me. Oh, there may be that man that seeks after truth we read in the Bible ever learning and never learning, ever trying to learn but can't learn. That's the world. Scholars, men and women in universities, great educational leaders, great philosophers, standing up, talking, trying to learn, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. What a world! Jesus Christ, in the intellectual world. And I want to say, to you students, don't be disturbed by the high-sounding words of worldly-wise men who know not God. I know women that live in mountain cabins who can scarcely write their own names It could teach some men that know the atomic bomb about God. Man by searching cannot find God. You can make laboratory tests and learn something about the physical universe. But you can't know the real truth unless you know God. Years ago in the city of Louisville, Kentucky, there's a woman who had a parrot. She loved the bird very much. And every night, she'd put the bird in the cage and say to the bird, Good night, Polly. In the morning, she'd take the bird out of the cage and say, Good morning, Polly. The bird would always say good night at night and good morning in the morning. And one day, the bird got in a fight with a cat. And she went up and rescued a bird. And that night, she put the bird in the cage and said, Good night, Polly. And the bird said, Good night. Next morning was a lovely spring day and the sun was shining. And She went out of the cage and said, Good morning, Polly. And the bird said, Good night. Well, she said, Polly, it's morning. I said, good morning. Bird said, good night. What, Polly, say good morning to me? The bird said, good night. The woman got up near the cage and found the bird's eyes had been scratched out by the cat the day before. That poor blind bird could not say good morning again. There is no good morning in in the universe to any man who has no spiritual eyes. He cannot penetrate the darkness. He's like in lecture world. I've said a hundred times and I've probably a thousand times in this many places. Any student ever came to Bob Jones University and went out from this institution unsaved goes out in ignorance about the eternal values. And I'd rather be the humblest Christian that ever lived than the greatest scholar that ever lived that isn't a Christian. Men and women, boys and girls, listen to me and let this truth stay with you. You can't think accurately unless you know Jesus Christ. Gypsy Smith told me, said, when God saved me in a gypsy tent, he came to my life there. He said, my gypsy mind lighted up that day. I was reared down southeast Alabama, found Jesus Christ. I was a little country boy. We didn't have fine schools, not many advantages. But you know, when I found Jesus Christ, I began to think through the darkness Something happened to my intellectual life that night. I was never the same after that night. Listen, there isn't anybody on earth in sin that couldn't be a better thinker if he knew Jesus Christ. He's a light of the intellectual world. Jesus Christ is a light of the social world. We've had on this platform in recent days uh, some of the most remarkable men we've uh, ever known, our lives Great scholars, great men. Men some who've gone through great sorrows and there they were they talked about a world of chaos Talked about a world of darkness. They didn't hold out much hope for us, did they? They hoped against hope that maybe it would turn out all right somehow some way And one or two of them made a suggestion that I'll discuss with you about how it might turn out But you know many women as I listened to them, I thought of this world And then I began to think what it would have been if Jesus had never come Did you ever stop to think that there'd never been a Christmas? There'd never been a major in Bethlehem where a little baby was laid over whose birth the angels sang. Did you ever stop thinking what a world it had been? Why Jesus Christ made womanhood in the world all it is. I've said it many a time the greatest moral monstrosity that ever lives a woman that rejects Jesus Christ. He made women all they are. It was Jesus Christ who came from the noonday of heaven to the midnight of earth by way of the body of a virgin. It was he that took the chains of slavery from the hand of woman and made her a queen and put a crown on her head. He made women all they are. In the lands where his name is unknown, women have always been slaves and burden bearers. He made you women everything you are. He made childhood all it is. Motherhood's never been the same since he came. He was the first great teacher that ever walked down the road of life and opened his arms and said, let me hold the baby. Let them come to me. Don't keep the children away from me. I love little children. He was the one that said, Babies, don't disturb me. I I, I like to hold them. I, I love little babies. Let them come to me. Don't stop the children. He's a friend of little children. Somebody said he's a god of little things. He puts wings on archangels, but doesn't forget to put feathers on sparrows. I remember years ago, I was down here in Georgia, And I never shall forget it. I went out for a walk on early Sunday morning while the dew was still on the road. And I was looking for wild flowers. I never cared much about hothouse flowers. I love the flowers that bloom in secluded spots. You remember the pictures we had here of the cold north a few days ago. And those lovely flowers, and I said as I sat there, God must love them because he plants them where nobody but his eyes can see them. I think God loves wild flowers. He hides them in jungles and secret places and puts them away in secluded spots. And this morning, I was out walking and I saw a little wild flower hid away in a bunch of bushes. And I don't even know what it was, I never saw one like it before or since. And that little flower lifted its perfumed lips for the kiss of the morning and I stood there and talked to it and I said little flower uh, don't you get lonely out here at night especially little flower said I'm never lonely God keeps all the stars awake to watch over me when I go to sleep I said little flower what do you do when you get thirsty said I just tell God I'm thirsty and God tells the sun to draw me a drink of water I said little flower what do you do when the sun gets too hot I just tell God I'm too warm and and God tells a wind to come to the forest and fan my cheek and keep me cool I said little flower uh, you haven't dried your face yet the little flower said I never dry my face in the morning God always dries it for me his great big sun wipes my face dry every day I said little flower uh, would you like to have some breakfast? He said, I've had my breakfast, thank you. I draw my sustenance from soil in air. I said, you've talked to me about God. The God that puts all nature back of a little delicate flower that blooms and withers and dies and nobody ever sees it. He's my father. And he takes care of little things and he loves babies. And he takes care of frail men and women that wouldn't know how to get through this world. Yes, conditions are bad. But even in the midst of the darkness today, even in Russia, there's somebody that looks up through the cloud and calls on God. In all the dark places packed on the earth, there's somebody that whispers in his ear a good night prayer. And somebody that says good morning to him when he wakes up. Men and women. It's a terrible world. But there are little bright spots around that never would have been here if he hadn't come. He's a light of the social world. Jesus Christ is the light of the religious world. I don't mean to tell you, I've told you many times. Religion's one thing and Christianity's another thing. Religion simply is reliance, that's all. The thing on which you rely for salvation, that's your religion. A Christian's a person who, knowing he cannot save himself, relies not upon his church, not upon himself, not upon anybody else. He relies upon the atoning blood and saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's a Christian. But the Christian religion is a religion of song. Christians can sing. Sinners can't sing. Atheists don't write any music. You'll never find a great classical musical number that was ever written by atheists. Atheism and sin somehow bring about darkness it's Jesus Christ the son of God that puts music in the heart I've noticed now revival campaigns throughout the world first two or three days a great choir maybe were led by Dr. Lauren Jones or someone else throngs of them hundreds sometimes and they're all trained and oh how they sing and then the crowd will sing then you'll preach to them for about a week and then conviction gets hold of them And they can't sing when they're under conviction. You can't sing with conviction in your heart. Listen, if you're under the convicting power of the Holy Ghost, you just can't sing much. I've seen them and heard them. They just can't do it. Then you go through that period where you say, everybody sing it, and they try to sing it, but you have official church members and uh, church leaders that are not right, and and they're under conviction, and they haven't come clean with God, and they just don't know how to sing. I remember years ago in an aristocratic church in Louisiana, the old-time historic church. I was just a young preacher and hadn't had much experience. And I preached one Sunday morning in this church, and I finished my sermon. We'd been running for about a week and had a fairly good meeting, but the thing had never really... There'd been no real break. And that morning I said in this formal service, we'll sing hymn so-and-so. And uh, the organist, lovely woman, she was cultured woman, member of the church, and active in the societies in the church, and a lovely choir, refined, cultured people. But they weren't right. I knew all the time they were not right with God. And you have thousands and thousands of church people in this country who sing in choirs and sing in the pews at churches that are not right with God. They know nothing of the fellowship that some people have had with Jesus Christ. So she's down on the organ, starting to play. I can see her now. She got ready from the start, and everybody stood, and nobody started to sing. And uh, I looked at him. I didn't know what happened. She said, sing, everybody. I said, sing, sing. And he tried to make them sing, and she started, but nobody sang. I've never experienced anything like it in my life. A strange something came over the crowd. And I can see that organist now all dressed up for Sunday. She just left the choir off to the organ just came right down nobody asked and knelt at the front seat and all the choir followed her and the strangest thing you ever saw in your life without anybody saying a word the whole crowd started up to the front throngs of them i don't think there's a person left in the house and nobody asked them to come they just came god pulled them down there that day and we had to pray and people prayed and cried and sobbed and and way after a while, I saw an old-time countryman get up, his hair as white as the snow on a mountaintop, face wrinkled, and those wrinkles were filled with tears. And he stood as erect as a soldier in a tetra. And he began to sing. on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land, where my possessions lie. And then he said, I am bound for the promised land, and who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. And the cultured, prominent social leader, organist, got up and joined in, and she said, Who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. And then the leader of the choir got up and sang that. And the biggest society woman in town got up and said, Who will come and go with me? And I watched them as they sang and listened to their music. And you never heard sweeter music. It may have been from throats that had never been trained and vocal cords that didn't know how to sing. But there's a song in the heart. All music comes from God. That's the reason we have opera music in Bob Jones University. We don't want the devil to steal God's property. There isn't a song in the throat of a mockingbird that God didn't write. We read of the morning stars singing together. God's a friend of harmony, and he's against discord. And he puts music in the hearts of people. Did you ever stop to think of all the little songs they sing? I think so many of them sometimes are rather cheap, but but you know, I've seen them sing them very, with very happy hearts. I've told you many a time, the sorrow of my life is I can't sing. I love music. I, I think it's rather strange I would, but I don't understand it always. My vocal cords in my ear don't seem to work together very well. I'll sit with Mrs. Jones sometimes in a meeting, and there'll be a wonderful song, maybe a soloist, or maybe a quartet, or something, and I'll say, What's the matter? And she says, Somebody's off pitch. I know there's something wrong, but I don't know what it is. I I can't stay on pitch. I've tried to sing, I want to sing, but I just, somehow or other, I've had people say I could have learned. But you know, I didn't have to learn a song in my heart. It was put there that night at the age of 11 when I knelt in that little unsealed church. He put a whole orchestra there. He brought some of the music out of heaven and my heart went to singing it. And the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven, when I kneel at his feet and thank you for saving me, and kiss my mother shake hands with some of my friends and meet a few people whom I've led to Jesus. I've got it all worked out. I'm going to ask to suggest a number to the choir and the orchestra, and I'm going to ask them to let me sing a song that's never been sung out of my heart. If you're a Christian, there are unexplored depths in your heart, and there's music there you've never sung. There's a heavenly melody that's too deep for a voice too far down to reach and get out. And all your efforts to sing his praises. No wonder when they wrote Amazing Grace, they said, when we've been there tens thousand years... The soul of man is endeavoring to try to figure out the infinite reaches of the grace and saving power of the Son of God. He's a light of the religious world. There's no light in the world of darkness. There's no light in the devil's world. It's always in the world of religion and it's Christianity in Christ, not just religion. Some of the darkest spots on earth today are spots where there's religion, but not where Christ is. Whenever he walks into a circle, it lights up. When there's no light there, he's not there. He's like the religious world. He may become like an individual world. Did it ever occur to you that no two people live in the same world? You have a world of your own. A world of your dreams, aspirations, and longings, and hopes. You have a little world where you shut up to yourself. You just can't somehow explain something in that world. You love somebody and you try to find language to tell them. But after you've written the poetry and sung the song, there's something you can't tell. The soul's too deep to explore. There are too many avenues in it. I'm talking to some man. They may stand where the road parts and you don't know which way to go. You look down this way and say, if I go that way, that leads disgrace, that way leads defeat. I I can't, I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. It's very simple. Look up to Jesus. Tell him you don't know. Tell him to light up a road, and one of those roads will be all lighted to you. And if it looked like disgrace, it'll be honor. If it looked like defeat, it'll be victory. I'm talking to some woman today. You've never realized your ideals. You've dreamed dreams, but they've never come true. And you've hoped hopes, and you've seen those hopes dashed. Maybe some woman will get along in years and you've locked a secret sorrow up in your heart and you hope nobody ever know about it. You did throw away the key, but sometimes, uh, sometimes you've peeked in and seen the sorrow still there. Maybe some mother and you sleep at night and pour out burning tears on your pillow and next morning you hear the prattle of little feet coming to your bed and turn the pillow over and try to hide the tears, stain your child, and get up and smile through another day with a broken heart. You don't know what to do. Why, it's very simple. Just tell Jesus you don't know what to do. Look up to him. And those midnights will become noondays. And he'll take all those tears that you shed, and he'll turn every tear into a pearl. And he'll make a string, and with his nail pierced, hang, hang that necklace of pearl about your neck. He's a light of the individual world. There never was any darkness. He couldn't drive away. He drives the darkness out of the valley of the shadow of death. When we speak of the valley of the shadow of death, it's because we haven't got there. No Christian ever went through it and called it a valley while he was going through it. He calls it a valley as he looks at it. When he gets there, it's not a valley. But old man, son had been off to university, countryman, hard worker, trusted God, lived his life. And then one day, the old man's getting along in years, and he got feeble and died, and while he was dying, his son who'd come home university, a skeptic, said, Father, how's it look in the valley? He said, What do you mean by the valley? He says, How's the valley look, my son? Well, he said, The valley, how, how's, how's the valley look? He said, The valley. Yes, sir, Father, you've always talked to me about Jesus, and the grace of God, but the, the doctor says you're in the valley of the shadow of death. How's the valley look? The old man said, The doctor says I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, that's what he said. You tell that doctor he doesn't know what I'm talking about. Well, you tell him he doesn't know what he's saying. You tell him it's the prettiest day I ever saw. You tell him there isn't a cloud in the sky. I tell him that the sky was never as bright as tis now. There is no darkness there. Listen, the gateway of death leads to a city of light for a Christian.
1: It leads to the
0: eternal outer darkness for a sinner, but to a city of light for a Christian. John on the Isle of Patmos turned a prophetic telescope towards that city. And he held it there and looked at it. John said, Sure is a beautiful town. I want to see everything there before it gets night. John said, That street's gold up there. I didn't know they had that much gold in the universe of God. He said, I want to get everything because I don't want to miss anything. I've been dreaming about this city. Yes. Look at that river yonder, clear as a crystal. I never saw anything as clear as that. That tree yonder. The, the tree, the leaves of the health of the nations. John kept looking. He said, I wonder where the graveyard is, where they bury the dead. And he said, they don't have any cemeteries up there. And I don't see anybody crying. And nobody wears mourning. I don't see anybody looks like they're sick. There are no doctors. You don't have to call them up there. John said, I don't want to miss anything. I want to see it all. And he kept holding the prophetic telescope, looking, looking, looking. John said, the days, I imagine this, must be longer in heaven than they are down here. Yes. I'd be looking so long, so wonderful, and, and they must have longer days up there. And he just kept looking, and he said, the sun, I I think, will soon go down. He just kept looking and looking and looking, and after a while, it dawned on John. And he cried out in that's this ecstasy, there's no night there. The reason there's no night in heaven is there's no sin in heaven and Jesus is there. There'd be no night on this earth if sin was not here and everybody was yielded to Jesus. All the night and all the darkness come from sin. Let your light shine and someday you'll be called home to heaven. It'll be a wonderful place. I've seen the vista of rolling hills and verdant valleys of winding streams and forests with changing colors. I've seen the sky on wintry nights bejewelled with countless stars. I've caught the odor that floats through Park in Tropical Island on the summer's evening. I've listened to the music of the organ, the piano, and the violin as they responded to the master's touch. And I've heard the more matchless music of the human voice. I've seen the hand of God sweep the eastern sky with the glory of a dawning day. And I've seen him put his canvas on the western horizon and dip his brush in fire and paint the exquisite tints of a golden sunset. And then I've seen God pull down the curtain of the night, and I've watched that curtain shot through with sunset fire. But all I've ever seen and heard and dreamed and hoped and yearned for I cannot compare with the first rapture that will thrill my heart when I look within that city gate. I want to go there. I mean to go there. I intend to go there. I do. I want to go there. I mean to go there. I intend to go there. Don't you? And listen, while I'm on my way there, I want to get all the light back from heaven that's possible. And if Jesus will let me when I get to heaven, if he tarries and I go by way of death, I want him to let me sit near a window where I can lift up a shade once in a while, and guide some poor man and woman coming through the dark world on his journey home. You know, I heard a story just how a little boy statement through the years after the Civil War. There's a woman whose husband had fallen in battle, and uh, she's left with a little baby boy, and she never known what hard work meant. Everything she had was swept away, and ashes left. And then when starvation was staring in the face, uh, she went to work with her own hands on a little farm to get something to eat for herself and little boy. She was a frail woman. She managed somehow to make enough to live on, just get by. The little boy grew up one day, and the mother wasn't very well then, sure. And she was not able to work, and the boy knew it. He said, I take over, mother, and I work from now on. And, and he took over a little farm just about a half mile from home. And he'd have to go a little grove to the farm and come back in the evening through the same little grove. And he never came home till the twilight shadows gathered. And there was one little spot in the road where he could look through the branches of the trees and see a light in the cottage window. She had it there for him. And then a step or two in the trees would come the way. And he got the habit of stopping there every time looking through the branches of the light. One evening he was coming home. He looked through the branches and the light was not in the cottage window. He quickened his step and got home, and when the house all was dark, he struck a match and lighted a little lamp on the table. There in the bed was his mother, cold and lifeless. He went up and kissed her lips of clay and hugged her and poured out his tears upon her form. And and near her head he found an envelope, and and it was addressed to him, and, and he opened it and read these words, My dear son, your mother isn't well. And and I have a feeling that someday you may come home in the field and not find a lamp in the window of the home. I may move the lamp someday while you're in the field and put it in heaven's window. And if I do, I want you to walk in the light of it and someday meet your mother in heaven. Men and women, boys and girls, let's put lights in the windows. We'll have to move them sometime, but they shine brighter from the windows of the sky. When I was a little country boy, there was no school near us. No, except a little, just a little school, just a few grades. But my father and mother were eager to have me educated. And they said I had to go off to high school. And the understanding was I was going to go and stay two weeks and then come home and go back again two weeks and then home. And I didn't want to leave them. I never want to leave mother. But mother always had a peculiar way. When I'd go away from home, she'd always come out and say, you're going away now, son. Be a good boy. When I came back, she always said the same thing, asked the same question, same tone of voice I hear now, have you been a good boy? Never changed it, the emphasis, the accent, all the same, going away and I'll be a good boy. You come back home, have you been a good boy? One time when I was going away to school, she came out telling me goodbye, and she had a shoebox and said, i put something here for you to eat. i don't want you to be hungry the first day or two when you're at that boarding house, you might be a little timid, you'll eat this in your room if you get hungry and she kissed me goodbye and said uh, you're going away now be a good boy and i i said i would but i don't know whether i always remembered it or not i i think i forgot sometimes but one time i went away and mother came out telling me goodbye and when she kissed me her lips were warm and there was a strange red rose that she could never bloom before said you're going away now son be a good boy and i told her i i would and i tried so hard not to forget and my father, as we drove away, said, your mother's not very well. I'm uneasy about her. Ten days later, I had an opportunity to go home. A man was going that way and said he'd take me. So I drove up home about night. Darkness had settled. My father heard me and he came out and said, son, I'm glad to see you. He said, your mother's very sick. I was going to send for you tomorrow. I'm glad you came home. I went in that memorable night. Those fevered arms of my mother, I can feel them now as she put them around me and pulled me down and kissed me. Said, have you been a good boy? When I went away next time, there's no mother to kiss me goodbye and no mother to go with me to gate and no mother to tell me to be a good boy. When I went away next time, I heard a voice I'd never heard. It was mother's voice wafted on the breath from the wing of angels. You're going away now, son. Be a good boy. And I had a kiss that day I'd never had before. Mother threw me one from another world. I saw a light that day. It was mother's light in the wind of the sky shining back. Men and women, life is not done when a Christian dies. Work is not finished when you go through to the end and cross over on the other side. Let your light shine now. Your light that you shine here in school uh, will shine in lives of children unborn when you are dead and gone. I am the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Oh, God, help us to do it. Help us let our light shine. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.